by the time that transition happened, the teaching certificate portion was going to be just add on more time and be more difficult. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll just, I'll just go to med school. <laughs> okay. okay, wait a minute. This is a little like, yeah, this is a little like, I don't want to get hit with baseball, so I'll play hockey. Yeah. Teaching certificates too hard. I'll go to med school yeah, instead. Yeah. That was literally the transition. Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. Well, welcome everyone to Stand Up Pedal Action. Here in the studio today, I'm excited. We have a treat for you. Uh, Dr. Matt Zamazek, uh, who is a critical care physician that I have the honor of working with on a regular basis. We have, uh, we've been in some interesting situations together. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he also has a background in emergency medicine um, and decided to pick up triathlons along the way mm-hmm. while also raising a family. So this is, this is going to be fun just to see how this has been done and what your world looks like because it uh, it's fairly unique how you've been able to fit everything in. Mm-hmm. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah. And uh, starting off... Where do you come from? I'm from the East Coast originally. I was born in Massachusetts and then moved to Connecticut at around the age of like two and a half or so. Grew up there playing, you know, the usual baseball, tried my hand at soccer. Um, and then from there was kind of sick of getting hit by pitches and stuff all the time. So just, <laughs> um, Yay ball so, sports. Yeah, exactly. So kind of migrated away from that a little bit. Um, and eventually just, we moved to Simsbury, Connecticut, where um, everybody there, soccer was the big thing. Like Simsbury was known for their soccer and primarily their academics, which is why my parents moved there. Um, but everybody also played, you know, lacrosse, hockey, like all these, all the other sports. So I ended up joining um, the ice hockey team and kind of got in there um, and eventually played actually ice hockey through through high school um, and picked up running along the way because my plan, or at least my thought process at the time was, oh, if I can get more fit for hockey in the winter, I should probably be running and doing some aerobic sort of stuff in the fall. So I joined um, the cross country team and ultimately, towards the end of my uh, high school endeavors, stopped playing hockey and focused primarily on running and ultimately ran for Marist College, which is in the MAC conference, um, and ran indoor, outdoor track and cross country for them before heading to med school. Okay, so wait a minute. I got to step back a second. Mm-hmm. You said you were tired of getting hit by pitches and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so you went to play hockey. <laughs> I know, that's, that's, that's true. That's a little different. Um, but yeah, so I guess stopped playing baseball and got into like roller hockey. I guess there was like a local um, indoor arena where you could play just roller hockey, which wasn't, there was no contact. Um, it was pretty low key, but loved it. And so eventually took some ice skating lessons. Yeah, that was kind of the... Yeah, it's true. It's kind of a weird. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll be honest. Pads make a difference. So yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah, it does. They yeah, that's a do. real thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, we've got you to your collegiate years and mm-hmm. you're running. What were your distances that you really specialized in? So 
long distance stuff. I think I only ran the mile one time in college at West Point on like a non non bank track, um, which certainly there are tons of benefits to that. So that was, you know, it was a PR at the time. I've never run a mile since, um, but <laughs> but it was uh, still a cool experience. Um, and then outdoor was more long distance. So 5K and 10K on the track, which 10K on the track is a little monotonous. Uh, 32 it's, laps? It's, it's 33. 20, 25. Let's see, because six, yeah, it's 6.2 miles. Yeah, so it's 25 laps. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that it's, sounds it's like death. Like that sounds yeah. terrible. Yeah, you get into a pretty pretty bad place sometimes in those. You're just like clicking off the laps in your head. You never came around and like to the finish line. Like, yeah, I'm done. Oh, wait. No, no, oh. <laughs> no. Uh, I think that one of the guys on my team did once. I uh, thought he, he was a lap early and luckily, you know, was able to still bring it home on that last lap. But oh, my gosh. I can't, yeah, I can't imagine being completely gassed at the end and then someone being like, no, no, man. You, <laughs> you got one you more. more. Yeah. So that'd There's be pretty some, disheartening. Some foreshadowing there. Uh, with uh, the whole pandemic thing that we may touch on. Yeah. <laughs> the finish line one, keeps one moving. More laugh. <laughs> That's yeah. very true. That's very true. <laughs> All right. So then college, mm -hmm. what happened after that? I wasn't really sure what to do. I actually, when I started at Marist was declared, I declared my major like right out of the gate. Um, so I entered in already set up for accounting because I took a bunch of AP accounting classes in high school. I was like, oh, I could do this. I want to do like sports accounting. I could be like these agents, you know, guys. Yeah. And very quickly, I think after the first semester, I was like, I'm crushing these courses, but this is super boring. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate this. So I ended up uh, dropping the accounting major switching to biology because my again my high school coach was my biology teacher and i'm like i'm going to teach and i'm going to coach cross country i'm going to be mike cohen when i grow up by the time that transition happened the teaching certificate portion was going to be just add on more time and be more difficult and i'm like well maybe i'll just i'll just go to med school <laughs> okay okay wait a minute this is a little like yeah this is a little like that's i don't want to get hit with baseball so i'll play hockey yeah teaching certificates too hard i'll go to med school yeah, instead yeah. that was literally the transition that was the thought like there's no thought process i mean <laughs> it, was, it was i was clueless at the time so um so that's pretty much what happened graduated with my biology degree wrapped up some research that summer and then started studying for the MCAT still was like, okay, well now I have to apply, but yeah. what am I going to do for the next year? Um, so I ended up moving to Arlington, Virginia, moved in with two friends from high school um, and was like, I'm just gonna, I'll find a job here. I'll just dink around, like enjoy my last, you know, eight months before hopefully getting into med school. So I post-collegiately was still running. Unfortunately, literally, I think within two weeks of getting after graduation, I was like, oh, I'm just going to hop on my bike. I had a Trek, a road bike, a Trek 1000. Um, you know, I had like the three big gears up front, yeah. uh, big chain rings up front, and it was ugly. Um, <laughs> but you had a lot of options. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, you had a ton of options. That's kind of fun. Uh, there's not a whole lot of reason to have a triple on the East Coast. Yeah, I, I mean, Especially at all. where I lived. Yeah. Like, no point. No it reason. It was pretty, pretty flat. Yeah. Um, 
So we, so I was like, oh, I'm just going to bike to Massachusetts and back, which would have been like 25 miles or so round trip. I got to the Massachusetts border and I'm like, man, the lateral part of my knee is really hurting. And so turned around. Um, and then the next day, like my IT band, the insertion on my knee was just like screaming. And so my running, and I was in the best shape of my life. Like, yeah. like we thought there was a potential Olympic trials and the marathon were like a long shot. But if I had put in the time, it was a potential possibility that I would get close um, cause what kind of times were you hitting at this point? Nothing crazy. And I was in looking back on it. I, we did and, and no knock to my coach at the time. Um, we did a lot of things wrong, knowing what I know now and, and actually looking back on it from this multi-sport perspective and the, you need easy days and in college and in high school, we hammered all the time. Like if you yeah. weren't racing in practice or trying to push somebody in practice, what were you doing? And now looking back on it, it's like, no, no, no. That was the complete opposite of what we should have been doing. It really like the 80, 20 sort of rule that I'm sure mm -hmm. people have heard about is, you know, most of your time is in that zone two, three sort of effort. Um, and then your hard days are supposed to be hard and the days in between there's, there's purpose to those runs, but you don't need to hammer them all the time. Um, and that's what we did. And so I think I was just overdoing it for a decade of, of running and never like I had a pretty good engine and some pretty good speed, but it wasn't built appropriately. Um, yeah. so, um, but at the time, I think when I graduated, I ran like 1526 for the 5k, 852 for the 3k and 3230 for the 10k, which are like super average um, like, well, for, for, well, for yeah, hold, hold on. yeah, I was going to say average for what cohort for, like, yeah, yeah, for like division one, it's like super okay. average, um, but <laughs> also known like, as unattainable <laughs> times to most mortals. Yeah. So it's looking back on, it, it's like, yeah, yeah, they were okay. But had I done things differently, um, I think those times would be drastically different. And at the time in the Olympic trials, I think qualifier for the marathon just changed but i think back then you had to run 222 for the marathon and coming out of college i think my predicted time was like 233 and i'm like okay well if i get after it and strictly focus on marathon stuff i could probably take some time down for sure so we've got yeah. you riding to the border and back. Oh yeah. So, and now you can't even run. Yeah. So it couldn't run, um, had just like terrible IT band syndrome, um, couldn't fix it over weeks. So I, I literally was hobbling for, for quite some time. And this is off of basically one ride. One ride. Yeah. Yeah. Totally different muscle groups. Like that's what I mean. Like we never, mm -hmm. like I said, we never, we didn't do enough cross training, weight training in college. And then, yeah, that one 20 mile ride just completely did me in and i'm sure like my bike fit was terrible like i just did Were it all you myself clipless or um let me think no no i think no i had i had clippings at the time I, oh, wow. i'm pretty sure um but this had to have been pretty shocking because i'm guessing yeah. your self-conception at the time was i'm fit i'm athletic i can do anything I, thought I was indestructible at the time yeah and then one day on the bike 
and you're suddenly sidelined yeah. like full stop. Yeah. Yeah. And that was in 2000, 2007, the fall, summer, fall of 2007. And it didn't take me until I think midwinter to finally bounce back. But all that fitness I had been banking and stuff just kind of went out, went down the tubes. And then trying to train in New England winters outdoors is like miserable. Yeah. So um, I finally rebounded, I think the following spring started putting things together and I was like, I'm going to run the Philadelphia marathon. I want to get an elite qualifier, which would have been, I think running under 75 minutes for the half. Um, and so I trained real hard, ran. And again, this was all lone wolf training. Like, oh, I'm just going to do this today. I'm going right. to do this. Yeah. Like, you know, looked at other people's training plans. I'm like, oh, I can probably do similar, similar volume, similar things. Um, Went to the New York half, or not New York, the Hartford half, got the qualifier. I ran 114.17, and the marathon was like three weeks later. And then so the deadline was like, you know, the two days before the race. So I was like, they were like <laughs> yes, you made it, but you need yeah. to just join like the regular entry. So that's when I moved. So then I kind of packed up, moved to Arlington for those last couple of weeks. Um, I think I moved there right on Halloween or the day before Halloween and then took a bus up to Philly and ran, ran Philly, which didn't, ha I didn't have a clue what I was doing there. You know, I, nutrition wasn't a thing on my mind really. Um, I didn't really, ha I had no support crew. I was just kind of You're like just grabbing I, from I, the race side tables, whatever. Hey, yeah, look, a banana yeah, sounds had, great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had no idea. One of my, and one of my college teammates, um, also did the race and it was also kind of like, we were just there to have fun. It was going to be a good experience, a learning experience. Um, and I came back and I was like, I want to do more mm -hmm. like this, that, even though that was kind of a suffer fest and that hurt a little bit, I gotta, there's more, there's more to this and I could do it right. Um, but as things would turn out, I ended up getting a single interview for med school Ooh, and on just that, one just one it only takes one exactly <laughs> and and then i got a letter like a couple weeks later saying hey you've been accepted to lake erie college of osteopathic medicine i'm like holy shit <laughs> uh all right lake let's, erie. let's do this here yeah, we go so, so in the summer of 2009 moved to Erie, Pennsylvania and started and started med school. Didn't know anybody. Um, and I was like, Oh, I'm just going to join like this local, like the intramural soccer team. It looks like the med school has like some intramural teams that, that play. I'm just going to sign up to meet people again, never played soccer. I think outside of the age of five where, you know, I did, <laughs> I just kicked a ball around, you know, right. ran around some cones, ran into some kids because we were just staring at the ball and not, you know, looking up at each other. Yeah, as we used to call it in my hometown, herd ball. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so I did, so I signed up and happened to get placed on the team where I met Lindsay. And again, running, I was just 
running around. I had no sense, <laughs> no sense of position, nothing. Couldn't pass, but, couldn't, right, yeah. yeah. But they were like, who is this dude? He's open all the time. Just give him the ball. Because you just and, never stop moving. Yeah, I just never stopped moving. I was like over there, then I was over there, and I was over there, and over there. And so, <laughs> so Lindsay um, actually, hold, I think she still holds the, so she grew up here in Manitou Springs, um, and I think still holds the single season goal scoring record for Manitou. She's on the wall over there. So she has a soccer background, and okay. she was like, who is this lunatic, this skinny <laughs> dude that's just bolting around the field. So that's how I caught her eye from just having no sense of direction or anything. <laughs> just helplessly running around consistently. Yeah, exactly. All right. Pro tip out there, guys, if you're looking for, for any ladies in your life, apparently just begin running aimlessly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you look like a lost soul. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you look lost and helpless. Yeah, yeah. Someone will pick you up. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So she also in med school. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So you've got both of you on the same track, and that is a track in life that many people think of as signing away everything else in your life. Yes. Yeah, it's true. And Amy, I mean, there's plenty of statistics out there that say you know, like dual physician households are more likely to fail um, and have all these other issues. But I think, um, obviously we're still together and we have two kids and now we're doing all this multi-sport stuff. And I think that's the kind of the cohesiveness, like the glue that holds us together is because she um, was very athletic growing up, swam, did soccer, um, and then now did the Pikes Peak Ascent and has done the Chicago Marathon. She's doing New York Marathon in 2022. So she, like that just competitive nature and mm-hmm. wanting to do more um, is kind of what keeps us together because we want to see each other achieve what their goals are, whatever that may be. Like she's certainly not as competitive as I am, um, but she's got just these dream goals that she wants to accomplish and i'm like let's let's do it Um, all right and this now gets to what's kind of breaking my brain about the setup that you guys have with that which is it's one thing to say in a marriage or a committed relationship or whatever that all right we both support each other's goals and that kind of alignment can foster all sorts of uh efficiencies and whatnot in how you choose to live your life The problem is, in my head, that I would love to hear how you guys work this out, is it's one thing to have alignment of goals. It's another when those goals are aligned around things that take immense amounts of time. Yeah. And you're both in a career where that's not necessarily available, at least consistently. Right. And then you throw kids in the mix. Like, yeah. Okay. So, so how does that work? It's one thing to say, hey, honey, I'd love for you to go do your workout today. How do you do that when these workouts are three, four hours at a time when you guys have to put in the miles? Yeah. So in the very beginning, so before we moved out here, it was unbelievably challenging. So Lindsay actually was a year ahead of me in med school. So how it works is you do two years of like in classroom sort of studying. And then your last two years of med school are um, rotations. So Mm -hmm. every month you go to a new rotation and the way our school had things set up is we were literally traveling. We lived out of our cars for two years um, during that that rotation period. And so we would pass each other um, when we were dating, like 
<laughs> it'd almost be like we were having an affair because we'd, be, <laughs> we'd be driving like I'd be driving from somewhere in Connecticut. Like I did a couple of rotations at home, but but I was heading towards West Virginia. She was heading from Ohio to like the Bronx, and we would stop in like <laughs> Scranton. PA, stay at a hotel for the weekend, and then just keep going. <laughs> then just keep going. Shady. Yeah, it was super yeah. shady. Um, <laughs> so it was super bizarre. So we did that for two years. Mm. Um, and then ultimately, she her residency settled in at Christiana Care in Delaware, which is this massive healthcare system, um, level one trauma center. It's like 1,500 beds, like huge place. Wow. Um, and so my, ultimately I, my residency the following year, um, was in Philadelphia. So it was a small, not a small, but it was an, like an hour commute from Wilmington, Delaware to Philadelphia. And so that put a huge time constraint on any sort of physical activity. Um, and then in May of 2013, we got married right before I started that residency program. Um, but where we lived, like it was the ideal setup. We had a huge track that was near us, a bunch of trail systems. So at that time, I just came home, would run, do things. We really didn't have much outside of residency and any free time that we had, it was either hanging out or trying to get some exercise in. And for um, both of you at this point, was fitness just kind of reduced to sort of maintenance level? Like I got to still run or I won't be sane, yes. but you're not, competitive or working towards any major goals? Um, yes and no. Um, oh, okay. I, so I actually, some of the best running I ever did was on those two years in rotations. Cause I was by myself. I had mm -hmm. no one to talk to. I had no commitments outside of just showing up every day for my rotation and then leaving. So it was like, okay, I'm going to go sit in this abandoned room in the abandoned wing of the hospital, or I'm just going to get out there and crush some miles out here in West Virginia. Yeah. And that's what I did. And so I got ridiculously fit again and, um, again, was doing it all wrong because every day I just hammered. Mm. And, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Just right and, to the line every day. Yeah. Yeah. I really did. Um, and actually West Virginia was some of the, I actually did a couple races there two years in a row. And, uh, I also got chased there, um, which is, I've learned to never mouth off to people on a run. Um, cause I almost, <laughs> I almost, no, like this is for real. I almost, um, I was running and a guy blew through a stop sign and I said something to him and he said, what'd you say? And so I said it again and, uh, he pulled a U-turn chased me in his car and then got out of his car. And I was like, there's no way this hillbilly is going to catch me. I'm like in the best shape, some of the best shape of my life. And I turn around and he's right there. And I'm like, holy shit. And this guy, and I'm not like, I would, I'm still small. Um, but I was like smaller cause I was in shape and this guy full sleeve tattoos, like massive guy. And I'm not saying he was massive cause I was terrified, but he was like huge and I'm like, I don't know how this guy's catching me. Like I'm running 430 pace and this guy is right on me. And so I actually got off the road into some, unfortunately, some high grass and stiff armed him. Um, and luckily, I think he tripped or I'm not exactly sure what happened, but he fell down and I just kept going. And this woman, I'll never forget, this woman was like on her porch and I 
flying by her and I'm like call the cops this guy's trying to kill me (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh and I just kept going I never looked back I just knew the trail like a trailhead was coming up and I finally got to the trailhead glanced back he was gone his car was gone and I'm like I get the fuck out of here like I'm never running out here again Mm. I'm definitely not mouthing off to any like people in West Virginia anymore (laughs) so um I don't even know how I got to that story. But well, no, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> well, we normally but, near the end of the interview ask if you've had any strange or bizarre encounters during oh, yeah, your sporting career. So I think we just got that. That's that's one of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but so I think, again, so I had um, no obligations other than to, to kind of run and train. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... So... Once residency started, you were saying, you know, not being terribly competitive. Um, I actually was getting really, really fit that I was like, I'm going to have another. And now that I lived in Philadelphia, I'm like, I'm going to get another crack at Philly. And I think I can go under 240. Like, I'm going to run a 15 minute PR Mm -hmm. and see what I can do. And I think I I had set a pretty tight, tight limit. I think I said I was going to run 238 to 240. And again, no coaching assistance, just kind of winging it on the training. And I showed up, Lindsay was with me. We get there, we actually got great parking and I'm waiting in line to go to like the the bathroom for the last time. And they're like, gun goes off. And I'm like, what? Wait. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, no, that's gotta be like the wheelchair start. And like that, that's not for real. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the announcer's like, oh, and they're off. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, this can't be happening. I mean, I'm in the best shape of my life right now. I'm going to like, I'm going to run a really fast time today. And I just missed the start. And and so I don't know. I have no idea. I thought, I don't even know. To this day, (laughs) I have no clue. So, (laughs) so I'm like, now I'm frantic. So I like pull my pants off. Like I have all my stuff on. I'm like frantically train changing. And Lindsay's like, chill out. It's a chip race. The clock doesn't start when you, until you cross. She's like, it really <laughs> doesn't matter. Just relax. And I'm like, that's true. Okay. Like reel it in. So I like hop the fence, get in. And now, you know, thousands of people have crossed yeah, the line. And now I'm you're like, just oh, in the mess. Geez. I'm like, I got to weave through all these people. And uh-huh. like, oh man, I'm like, just keep it together. So long story short, I have like a pretty, pretty magical day and, um, I ran two hours, 40 minutes and zero seconds. Wow. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Dead. Dead on the dot, which still pisses me off though. (laughs) Because. Because you did that weaving through all the people. I missed the start and probably lost you know used too much energy there in the beginning like just nerves and things freaking out and to run 240 exactly just what (laughs) it's a 26.2 mile race like i couldn't come up with like one second or half a second so it didn't round up 239.59 just sounds like infinitely better than Mm -hmm. 240 um which (laughs) fast forward i mean to my race this weekend if you looked at the time Four hours, 40 minutes, zero seconds. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's so, driving me bananas too. Oh. And even Lindsay, the second she saw it pop up on her phone, she was like, oh, 
not again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so a lot of after that, it was just getting through residency and staying kind of relatively fit. And I was still like competitive locally, um, running wise. But then we had Owen and having kids in residency is like crazy. Um, and, and especially since I was commuting an hour each direction, um, and working, there were, there were periods where I didn't have a day off for like 25 days, you know? So it was just exhausting. Um, and then Lindsay like got a job with Rothman orthopedics who she worked with all the dudes that work on the Eagles, the flyers, the Phillies. Um, so she was an attending like doing her thing on her own. And I was still in my last year of, of residency. Um, and of course being a glutton for punishment, I'm like, I'm going to do an extra year for a critical care fellowship. So you were uh, in emergency. So I was actually in a combined emergency medicine, internal medicine program. So, which was five years. Um, and then I added on a sixth for critical care. And for those of us who don't know, and that's on top of the four years of med school. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But for those of us who don't know, could you help by adding a little clarity around the difference between emergency and critical care? Yeah. So emergency medicine is strictly, you are working in the emergency department. So this is, it just walked in the door and we don't know what's wrong. Yeah. Ready to go. Yep. Yep. Gunshot wound, handle it. Uh, lady giving birth, handle it. Kid mm-hmm. with a runny nose handle it like, <laughs> it's the whole gamut um yeah. you never know and so i did so that was kind of my i preferred that over internal medicine um but i was really good at critical care like i just so knew what is critical care yeah then? so critical care is once that unstable patient really sick patient comes through the emergency department gets worked up but they're still very sick needing whatever interventions, whether that's blood pressure support, um, special devices to make sure they don't die, like being on a ventilator, um, they need to go to the intensive care unit, the ICU. And that's run typically by critically critical care trained physicians, um, pulmonology service folks um, that have just extra training in critical illness and like managing those, those things. So, okay. Um, yeah, I did an extra year of critical care um, at the same, luckily at the same hospital, we had just started a, a fellowship there that was in its infancy, only second or two years into it. So I think I was the third, third class, second class, um, and finished that and then started looking for jobs. And Lindsay was, I mean, Rothman was great, um, but they were so busy. I mean, she was seeing 30 to 40 orthopedic patients, like sports patients a day. And oh she was gosh. like, I can't, yeah. she's like, this is, this is very hard. She like she loved what she was doing, but it was mm. just too much, especially with what we were doing and what my anticipated like schedule was going to look like in the future. Um, and we didn't have any help. So my family was still in Connecticut. Her sister was in Chicago. My one sister was in Connecticut. The other one's in Florida her parents are here in Manitou and it's like, we need, we need help. Um, we just need family to be around and what's the best market right now. Where, where do we want to end up? And obviously Colorado is like the bomb. So (laughs) (laughs) so, so we moved back here. Both of her parents were retired. 
are retired. Um, I think at the time, my only my dad was retired. My mom recently retired um, from. Uh, she was a pediatric nurse practitioner. Um, I think a year ago. So we moved out here, and ever since then, we've just had it's been much much better getting help with the boys. And they're now in elementary school, so they're in school most of the day. Um, so we get a little bit more free time if we're not at the hospital or in the office. So right, yeah. <laughs> so about that at the hospital thing, yeah, <laughs> it's been a little different. <laughs> <laughs> so as I understand it, two things are now a part of your life that weren't before when, for, when you guys first got here. Mm-hmm. One being, now we're heading towards Ironman distances for you. Yeah. All yeah. right. So let's start there. So I moved, So we moved out here in August of 2019. And my friend, Sean, uh, that I ran with in college, started getting into triathlon and did Ironman Wisconsin and a bunch of other half, a couple of half distances and some other sprint and Olympic stuff. And we were, we were talking and he's like, Oh, you should, you should do this. You should try it. And I was looking at his times. I'm like, I could do that. Like, why? (laughs) How hard could it be? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) I still gotta, I could still run. I could definitely hop on a bike and probably push out some miles. The swimming I was nervous about. And so I hopped in the pool at the Y and it was a saying it was a struggle was an understatement. Like (laughs) I, the technique involved with swimming and the breathing was so foreign to me. Like I knew Mm -hmm. how to not drown, but I didn't know how to like actually swim continuously for a long amount of time yeah there's, um, with any efficiency yeah yeah exactly yeah, there's swimming there's not drowning and there's like a tertiary state in there where you have to learn how to move yeah, yeah yeah exactly so so i again all on my own um just kept going back to the pool seeing a pattern here yeah i know <laughs> i know i never asked for help that's the problem um so all on my own just started i bought a bunch of i think i bought like a 18 week or 20 week training program from D3 Multisport. It was like, how do I get, how do I train for an Ironman or whatever? And just clicked one on, on their plan and tried to follow it. And the time commitment for something like that, there's varying degrees. And for these stock plans, there's not much wiggle room. And so I was trying to do all of this work with very little time because, and actually let me backtrack at the time when I first started, um, I was actually technically only part-time critical care. So I was only working a series of nights or a single week during the month. And I was actually supplementing my work time with a handful of emergency medicine shifts down in Pueblo. So I would commute down to Pueblo, work like a day or two, work an overnight here and there. And then in between, I would usually work like an overnight Friday, Saturday, Sunday in the ICU or Monday through Sunday, like a full week in the ICU. Um, So I actually had a fair amount of free time. I was only working like 14 days out of the month. And I'm like, this is, if I'm going to do something, now is the time to do it. The boys are still young. Like they're, they're going to be in daycare. and I've got my in-laws to help out. Lindsay's supportive. I'm like, let's, let's do this. And so started doing this training program. The folks at Criterium helped me get not like, I didn't get a tri bike because that's a huge expense for something that I didn't know if I was really going to be fully invested in. So I got a uh-huh. 
specialized allay sprint, um, which the seat post is a slight, maybe a degree or two more vertical um, than kind of a standard road bike. So I got mm-hmm. a little bit more position, better positioning for that. Um, I'm like, I can throw some arrow bars on this. There's like some small modifications. And so that's what I did. And luckily, uh, <laughs> well, not luckily, but then, <laughs> so I'm like a brand new attending. It's, it's yeah. August. Fast forward four months later, we're in COVID. COVID. Yeah. COVID. Like we got, <laughs> and I'll never forget it. We were in, we were actually up in Whistler. We had a ski trip planned with our friends. And so we were in Whistler, Whistler's airport in Vancouver. And we're like looking around and the news was like all crazy. And we're like, what is blowing up? Cause we were like off the grid essentially when we yeah. were up there, we were just skiing and loving it for like five days. And then when we got to like, civilization hard you know being around people again off the mountain things were like really blowing up and i'm Mm -hmm. like this is something's not like this doesn't look good um and so i think two weeks later we were on lockdown and i'm like well that could have been terrible getting stuck up in canada for a bit um but then again, you stuck at Whistler. It's probably worse. I mean, I was going to say, I, mean, I think you could do worse, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm a brand new attending. Things got crazy very quickly. Um, but the only thing that kept me sane was any sort of athletics. And that's how it's always been. Like, and actually that was one of the big talking points during my med school interview. They're like, oh, what do you do outside of, you know, what do you do to stay loose i'm like uh I run marathons and stuff and they're like uh what yeah <laughs> like well that's how it's always been like running was always my outlet um and so now it became running biking attempting to swim and things it was just very very difficult um and so kind of we got through somehow got through 2020 all of the races that i signed up for got canceled or deferred Mm -hmm. so um which was good because it gave me more time to actually learn some stuff about multi-sport training and what's the right thing to do what's not the right thing to do i talked to some like what kind of lessons just like um again over overdoing it like really that's that's the one thing i remember very distinctly is like i felt terrible on the bike all the time and i'm like why are my legs just feeling like jello like this these these efforts don't feel terribly hard like i'm you know my heart rate's up a little bit i'm i'm sweating but every day just felt so stagnant and then once i started talking to my friend Justin Harris who um, was a high school All-American, school record holder at Marist, when actually went pro in triathlon very briefly. Um, he's like, dude, you just got to remember what we did in college and just go easy. He's like, you, your easy days need to be easy. Like, you don't need to be hopping on your Peloton and chasing leaderboards on your easy days. You know, you just got to relax. And that's what we, that's, I think, at the end of my college career, I trained with Justin again because he was getting his teaching certificate. So he had very limited time to train too. So we were training very early or very late. And his training philosophy was very hardcore, like that 80-20, like 
your hard days are hard, your easy days are easy. Mm-hmm. And that's what made the difference. Um, I remember going out for like two hours with him in college and it was great. Like two hours didn't feel that bad. And the next day you didn't feel bad. And then you were able to crush your, you know, mile workout the day after, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas if I had been doing that on my own, I probably would have ran too hard for two mile, two hours, would have came <laughs> back, felt like garbage, felt pretty dead bad the next day, and then would have had a crappy workout. Like the key workout would have been terrible the day after that. So, um, I just learned a you know, a lot about patience and this is a very big building process. Um, and so everything from 2020 got deferred to 2021 and I, it was just a, a, a lot of firsts. Like I'd never done a triathlon, mm-hmm. like not even a sprint, nothing. So I signed up for I think the only thing available was um the uh a duathlon up just outside of Boulder. So I did like bike or run bike run and that got me at least in the mindset of transitioning, learning how to do that and mm-hmm. my what my legs may feel like coming off the bike. Um and then I went to St. George, Utah, um which I mean, you guys probably know it's not flat there. No, and not really. No, yeah. um, from your biking, mountain biking backgrounds, the it's it's certainly hilly. And that was my first triathlon. Was a half Ironman. It was my first open water swim. Was the half Ironman. The, <laughs> <laughs> it was just a day of first. I'm like, well, I'm just here to survive. So. Um, <laughs> And and throw was, transitions in there. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it was the North American Championship. So it's like not like a low caliber field. Yeah. Um, and yeah. of course, being super competitive, I did, I mean, I went for it and I had, I had a great day um, for my first time out. But I remember panicking in the water, like everything. Um, it was my first open water swim. And the water temp, I think, was 61, so it was a little chilly. Um, but for someone that's never done an open water swim with hundreds of other people, and it's cold, and it was very overwhelming. And I think I remember getting it like 400 meters in and just treading water, being like, I got to get out of here. I was like, someone needs to pull me out of this water right now. Whoa. And looking around, <laughs> I remember looking at the lady, one of the... the um, girls on like the paddle boards and she's just staring at me and i'm like can't in my head i'm like can't you see that i'm very distressed right now (laughs) can't you like paddle over here and ask me if i'm okay Mm -hmm. and nope she just kind of sat there i'm like well i guess i should just keep swimming if she's (laughs) if she's not gonna help me and you know i'm like a couple hundred meters away from the shore i might as well just wrap this thing up like i don't know and so so I think my headspace got a little better. I actually found a reasonable stroke and and finished and then and then transition was a complete disaster because um, I didn't know what I was doing. Never practiced transitions. I didn't think it was going to be as hard as it was. My wetsuit got stuck on my ankles. I'm freezing. I had to go to the bathroom, like dropping <laughs> nutrition. My friends are like texting my wife, like, did he get out of transition like what's he doing in there like it's been nine minutes like what the hell so 
So finally hop on the bike. And luckily, I mean, my legs felt great. I did pretty well on the bike overall. Um, and then running was, running's my jam. So mm-hmm. um, ate up everybody on the run. And and ultimately, first time out, got a world, uh, somehow, by some miracle, got a qualifying spot for the world championships, which were back in St. George. Um, so, so <laughs> at least at you least, knew the course. Yeah, exactly. And that was my thing. I was like, okay, well, this is pretty cool. At least I'll have some familiarity. I'll have more months to to get ready. Um, and I want to put a pin in that before we, we move too yep. far beyond it. First ever triathlon. Mm-hmm. As a half Ironman, mm-hmm. garbage transitions, and you still qualify for worlds. Yeah, I honestly have no idea how because <laughs> I think I, I think I finished forty second in my age group, which is pretty far down the totem pole. Mm-hmm. Um, there must have been a ton of guys in front of me that had already qualified and like deferred. Um, and from learning this past weekend, if you're not at the um, award ceremony for the roll down, they give you about three seconds to claim your spot. And if you're not there and say, I'm going to St. George or I'm going to Kona or whatever, they skip you and just move on. They just move on. And so I'm like, well, maybe, and I didn't get the email until like a couple weeks later where like, Oh, congratulations. You've made it to the, like the Ironman world championships. And I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. So then I got all super jazzed. Of course, I immediately said, yes, I'm going. Yeah. Um, but again, this was, these were that, that initial race in St. George was actually the stepping stone to the full Ironman in Coeur d'Alene, which was supposed to be in the first weekend in June, I think. Um, so finished my first Ironman. Um, realized like okay i'm probably going to be pretty good at this like if i if i can dial it in and of course again still just following a a pre-made race plan nothing specialized nothing dialed in to to work with my work schedule life schedule um and so that was the discouraging part during this whole process is seeing like those reds and yellows and oranges on training peaks like the days I just had to skip entirely and watching oh, yeah. like mm-hmm. my graphs of my fitness and fatigue going complete opposite directions. Yep. Um, it's, it's very like mentally you're like, but I don't feel, I mean, I feel pretty fatigued, but yeah. my fitness, like mm-hmm. it just keeps getting worse. Um, this whole work thing didn't get in the way. Yeah. Work, yeah and that's the thing. So <laughs> with, with COVID, work got bananas and I actually ended up s- stopping. I stopped working in the emergency department because going to and from Pueblo was kind of a pain and then signed a new contract to do full-time critical care, which was a week of ICU. So Monday to Sunday. Um, and then the rest, the remainder of the month was made up of nights like batches of three to four overnights, two to Whoa. two to four overnights. And so um, there was just like this kind of chronic state of fatigue. And that was the hard part. Um, Can you paint a picture of what it was like when you say work went bananas? Because I know for those of us who are not in the medical space, like we have this general fuzzy notion of, 
you know, you look at the hospital and you think, well, it's probably bad in there. There's probably more people in there than there should be. Yeah. There's probably more like new regulations or whatever. But we out here don't know like yeah. what that meant. There and and it's funny because I, I still don't feel like people really, really know. And even though things are quote somewhat better now, it's still <laughs> debatable. It, it's, well, yeah, actually it's it's actually the way things are worse are just different now. So in the beginning, mm-hmm. we had staff. Yeah. Now we don't. And we're losing people left and right for various reasons. And so now we have too many patients, but no staff to help those patients. So we're kind of holding people in places they normally wouldn't. So in the very beginning, we were just inundated with super sick people that we didn't know how to treat. Like everything was brand new, you know? Um, People were just, (laughs) were just bleeding and just up and literally up and dying in front of you. And you were like, what the fuck is up with this? You're like, they were literally, I was literally just looking at their rhythm strips and their monitor. And then all of a sudden flatline dead. And that happened in the very beginning a couple of times. And then all this news started coming out about the myocarditis or the inflammation of the heart and, um, that transitioned to more clotting disorders with with Delta in like mm-hmm. this past year. So we didn't really see too much heart and cardiac stuff. It was more everyone had clots in their legs, clots in their brain, big strokes, clots in their lungs. Like I've never seen more pulmonary embolisms here than anywhere else. Like in it's just unbelievable. Um, so it was just exhausting not knowing what to do. Um, there was very little evidence outside of steroids at the time um, and and blood thinners. But um, and that's still still pretty much the standard now. We really haven't made too many advances in terms of treating these people. It's a lot of supportive care and hoping that their lungs and their organ dysfunction gets better with time. Um, because I think it would probably be important to note for a physician caring for a patient who doesn't know what to do it's not like you just stand there and twiddle your thumbs and wait right right like so when you say you have these patients in front of you that are experiencing severe symptoms and might be flatlining that is constant work constant stress constant worry of what should i could i be doing what have i missed yep what might be happening and this is going on all day all day every day every day for two years now and and that's and it's just been the the care i think the care and the understanding of like the disease process and what to look out for we've got a better grip on that for for to some degree um but it's the emotional part those talks with families that that's what kills you like that's what beats you down um, and having to come home, ah, you're good. No, take, no, take your time. Yeah, I'm just lucky to come home. That's kind of why, kind of why, uh, this endurance stuff matters um because i'm able to do it 
Um, that's why I have my bike. I have my boy's birthdays custom painted on there. I have like a little custom hashtag for them. Um, and it's not just for my boys and my wife why I'm doing it. It's for everybody that can't. And I mean, I've been lucky to have an in incredible heart, incredible set of lungs, and can have done a lot of things that most people can't. And I know I can only get better. Um, and like Steve, Steve Prefontaine said, uh, to mm -hmm. give, to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. And it's not like you've been genetically gifted. It's the gift that you can get up and walk on two legs and, and do these seemingly incredible feats of fitness. Um, so, <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's been the, the emotional part has been the hard part. Um, cause the more, you know, initially, you know, you've, you've seen in the news, people have just been frustrated. It's like, oh, well, this could have been avoided if, you know, this person got vaccinated or this could have been avoided if you didn't do this. And there was a lot of that. And I still find myself thinking that sometimes, but the more you talk to these families and get into the weeds of their social dynamics and, and everything. It's just not, you can't point fingers. You can't blame anybody. Like it's a terrible pandemic. There's no, this virus doesn't care. Um, and so we just need to help each other out. I, I, I've, I've, I've really come around to that where, you know, the, the countless stories of, Oh, my, it was this guy's nine-year-old daughter that, that found him blue on the ground. Um, like, yeah, you can, you can yell at him all you want for not being vaccinated or whatever, but that guy has a kid. Like he's got people that depend on him. Um, so our, our, I just got to get these people better and I wish we had a better, a better answer and a better way to do it. Um, but in in between, I'm just gonna gonna swim, bike, run, <laughs> yeah. and try to try to dull that a little bit. But um, it is easier outside of the places that you inhabit on a daily basis mm -hmm. for people to get lost in a very convenient mentality that COVID is only maybe accelerating what would have already happened to some old or infirm or unhealthy people who made bad life choices already. But I can tell just from the emotion of you sitting here that that's not what it feels like no. and not what you see every day. No. Yeah. There's no class preference, comorbid preference. Like chances are in, re in reality, and, and I'm trying to come to grips with it is like, we're all going to get it at some point. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping it's just a lesser virulent strain. Um, I think with this new Omicron variant preliminary data saying that it, it, it's picked up some genes or mutated to be more like the common cold. Um, and it's, it's just very weird because a week ago, 
or two weeks ago, I was talking to my in-laws and I said, viruses and bacteria, they don't, they don't know anything. They're just trying to survive. And in more, more cases than not, and maybe a virologist or infectious disease guy could counter this or speak more to it, but in more cases than not, they're just trying to survive, which means they need to replicate. They don't need, they don't want to kill their host. Like they just want to keep replicating. And so a lot of these bad diseases, um, are easily transmissible, but in the long run, they don't really cause you much harm, but they just continue to proliferate, like, which is why the common cold is the common cold. <laughs> um, and and this, so, yeah, because this I've, I've heard as a layman, like just consuming what media I can out here, one common theme seems to be the suggestion that viruses like this mutate in one of two directions, one that is incredibly deadly, or the other that is incredibly transmissible yeah. because things that are deadly, well, they kill well, you and then they can't move on. Exactly. But things that learn how to transmit quickly without damaging the host too much tend to be the ones that we then find to be endemic. Is yes. that correct? Yeah, exactly. And that, that's so far, there's some very early preliminary data that says Omicron is transitioning to that mm -hmm. common cold sort of viral illness. Um, <clears throat> so we'll see. I mean, it's, Seems to be everywhere already. I mean, there's cases in Colorado, Connecticut, everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just a matter of time where our our local data is going to be like, okay, now it's it's now taken over the taken over Delta as the predominant strain. So, but we'll see. I think it's still going to be down the line. Um, but yeah, it's it's been an interesting two years. What would you say? because we have a mic in front of you <laughs> <laughs> to anyone in the general public who is listening. And obviously anything around vaccines is a hot button issue, yeah, but no. we're not going to take it off the table. Yeah. Like you can say whatever you want to say. What, what do you wish people like me knew about how your world has changed? Um, it's, it's really hard because I mean, everybody's been kind of in their own sort of bubble to some degree the last two years. And it's it's very hard to kind of look at other people and put yourself in their scenario or look at it from their sort of perspective. And like you said, you know, the vaccine thing's a hot button issue. But if you take that 10,000 foot view and remove all of the the biases associated with that, it's it's the right thing to do for mm -hmm. not your just yourself but humanity and it really is that big of a scale because what we're seeing is a lot of these folks are are getting sick from kids and unvaccinated folks and they're and they're having worse disease processes and there's certainly some new a lot of new data that says getting your your booster makes a difference um so I think if we're really trying to limit this spread, especially with the holidays, you know, we haven't seen the bump from Thanksgiving yet, but I think I saw headlines yesterday that cases were now over 100,000 a day again. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's going to happen. And now that it's colder temperatures and everyone's kind of restricted to indoors, um, that just increases that that spread. So just being mindful of others. Um, 
I think is the big, the big thing, you know, like even if you aren't vaccinated, just wearing a mask in public places, because you never know if you're symptom, like asymptomatic in a carrier. Um, so, and you never know who's going to be at risk. Um, cause like I said, we've had plenty of young people in their twenties and thirties who are seemingly totally healthy, who are never coming off of life support. And you have to tell their families like this devastating news day in and day out. Um, so it, it's like unfathomable and like unrelatable to 99.99% of the population unless you do what we do. And there's no way to convey it other than to have like a job shadow day, you know, bring your neighbor to work day. <laughs> Let me show you exactly what's happening. Yeah. That's the seriously the only way people will ever get this. Um, but it's just be, just be kind to everybody. Just please do your part. You yeah. know, even though it may seem silly to wear a mask, go into the grocery store, just do it. Like there's no, no harm in it. Yeah. I don't know. You said um, a moment ago that the time out on the bike, out in the pool, out on the trail is a place to go to try to numb some of that pain. Mm -hmm. Is there healing out there for you as well? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, it really, <clears throat> on some of these harder, harder sessions, I really do think about a, where I started and where I came from. Um, and it really is like a lot of luck. Like I said, I had a single med school interview and happened to get into med school. And mm -hmm. then happened to become chief and then happened to get into that fellowship. It's just like all these like one-off scenarios that have just kept, <laughs> kept happening. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of luck in, in, in it, but yeah, I think there, there is a lot of healing that goes on. Um, a lot of reflection on some of those longer, longer rides and runs. Um, not so much in the pool because I'm really focusing on not, not, <laughs> not, drowning. not, drowning. <laughs> yeah, not drowning. Like, is my pull okay? Is this form okay? Is my efficiency okay? Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I think it it is pretty cathartic in some sense to to get that stuff out. Mm. Well, thank you so much for for sharing, expressing mm -hmm. what it's been like for you. That's something yeah. that I. I feel like it's been a challenge for all of us to oh, yeah. try and convey what life has been like and how it's affected us as it's, it's not just, you know, the, the routine of going through and checking the boxes on caring for people. It's these are lives. These are lives that did not anticipate to be where mm -hmm. they're at and the families that come along with that. And there's no magic button no magic cure to to take care of this it's it's all a challenge yeah and we carry that so i'm, I'm thankful to have you around with us because it's always a joy working with you no i'm glad to have you there you, you <laughs> put out a lot of fires <laughs> before they become you know infernos um i mean yeah we got people honestly looking looking for trouble on the floor like we really that's what's happening at the hospital is like people are so sick all over the place that we need to there's like a preemptive strike team 
that can identify them. Like Josh is able to see these people on the floor and is, gives me a heads up like, hey, you need to go see this guy. I think he's going to be in trouble in the next like hours to days. And 99% of the time, they're right. And that person's in the ICU under our care, potentially within minutes of the phone call, um, if not within hours. So um, it's really trying to get ahead of things if we can. Um, but again, it's a lot of just supportive care time and a lot of conversations, hard conversations with, with families along the way. I think uh, Josh and some of the others that I know from the ICU have described it, you know, and just sort of almost casually throwing off afterwards, like, how was your day? Well, there's a lot of people trying to die in there. Yeah. And I'm getting the impression that that can feel like what it's up against. Almost this uphill battle all day, every day, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there's very... And these small, like, glimmers of hopes usually don't last very long. I mean, there's, I mean, after doing it for, for as long as we have now, like, we know, we know when someone's not going to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly we, modern, modern medicine is amazing. Like, we can keep somebody alive almost indefinitely. Yeah. Um for certain definitions of the term alive. Exactly. And that's, and that's the hard conversation. That's, that's the, where we get help with palliative care and our chaplains and everyone trying to have these discussions as openly and as bluntly, but as politely and as empathetically as we can saying like, we have reached the maximum amount of support. This like your loved one can be on we can keep doing it, but we don't, they're not going to get better. And a lot of cases we just keep pushing on, pushing on, pushing on until eventually something will fail. Uh, Some catastrophic event inevitably happens, whether that's days and or potentially weeks later, it happens. And, um, yeah, that's, that's that's the hard part. I mean, medicine has just come so far that we can seemingly do anything to anybody and they will survive, but at what cost? Um, both, mm-hmm. um, you know, mentally, physically. Um, and that's where people need to have real conversations before they get sick. Um, and, it, and it's crazy. Like Lindsay and I, even before we went to California for my race two days ago, I was like, we need to draw, like, we need to have a will, like, Mm, before we travel. Like, what if, not, like, not even if I get hit by a car on my bike or I die on my run or drown or whatever, like, what if I get sick? Like, what if you get sick? What if we both get sick? What happens to the boys? What happens to our house? Like, people don't think of that stuff when they're young and healthy, um, And unfortunately, a lot of people don't think of it even when they're a little older. They just, Mm -hmm. their their sense of mortality isn't there. And that's one thing I have come to grips with, like, very close, like, very closely. Um, And and that's not only from, from COVID, but from cycling and this multi-sport stuff. I, I wrecked my bike two weeks after my first, that Ironman back in May. And 
luckily walked away with only a fractured collarbone. Um, but I was in the middle of nowhere up in Black Forest. Everything smashed. My phone luckily had a sliver of battery just long enough to call my father-in-law who picked me up and drove me to the hospital. But it's like, I could have been, that could have been worse. Like I wrecked at a pretty high rate of speed going downhill on a road that the speed limit's 60. And if somebody had like come at the wrong time, I had fallen into the road rather than like off the road, I would be dead. Like what if I got tagged by a car? In the work you guys do, you don't only see COVID patients, and I'm sure you've seen more than a few cyclists come through. Yeah, I mean, we, we've certainly the ER has seen a ton of people. I mean, there's always people getting hit by cars around here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but it, it really made me think about this sports. It's fun. It's exciting. But it's still dangerous. Like there's there's very there's a fine line of pushing the limit and being very competitive on a higher level, but I also got to go home. Yeah. Like, and to be honest, I crashed the day before my race yesterday. <laughs> oh. um, and even that sent, I was like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> just trying to practice my transition and I went over my handlebars here. Oh. I got this, I got banged up. Um, like, I'm going to kill myself just practicing. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, people need to really think about what's important and kind of plan. You really need to plan for the inevitable, have some conversations with, with your family, um, like about these, what if scenarios? Cause I mean, you've seen the millions and millions and millions of people that have been stricken with this mm -hmm. and the hundreds of thousands that have died it's not uncommon. Like people need to right. be having these conversations, whether they like it or not. Um, because it, it, you never know. You just, you just really never know um, when you're going to need somebody to be their healthcare advocate and represent what you would or would not want to do if you were unable to make your decisions. Um, so that's the, that's the difficult part, kind of conveying all that stuff to, to folks. Yeah. So we generally have a few questions that we ask near the mm -hmm. end of the interview, which tend to be a little more lighthearted. But before mm -hmm. we get to that, you've painted a picture where you've got this life that is, in, is fairly intense from the work side. Mm -hmm. And you've got a sport or a sporting life that is also pretty dangerous. So it's hard to come by in terms of time. Like it's expensive in that regard. Oh, yeah. Potentially dangerous. So at a time in your life where there could be a lot of stress, and a lot of reasons not to, because you've got to go home. Mm -hmm. Why? Why are you still out there? Because hmm. I don't, I really don't know what I would do without it. Um, I mean, I've been competing, I guess you would call it endurance, endurance sort of sports for, since high school, you know, running cross country. And it's the only thing I really know that keeps me grounded. It's the only thing that's been constant, no matter what. Like you could always lace up your shoes and go out the door and you don't really need much to do that. Um, you don't need to travel anywhere. Um, and especially now here, you know, with the access to trails and the views, it just really, you really appreciate what, what you have. I think I'm trying to be an example to my kids too. I mean, they, they had this big sign on the door, on the garage door 
um, when I came home last night <clears throat> that was just like, dad, you did it again. And they drew like their little Iron Man, you know, symbol on there and a swim bike run. And then they have also drew some Christmas trees and things on it. But, uh, <laughs> it's seasonal. It's fine. But, yeah. Like you can tell that they're, they're proud and they kind of, they kind of get it. And they certainly see me putting in the work, um, in the basement. And it's funny, they have like their own little stationary bikes where their iPads get connected and they, you know, pedal really fast and connect, like collect letters and try to do all these other things and collect points. And it's excellent. It's so (laughs) cool. Um, And then the treadmill, like in, in my little pain cave, we've got like the kicker, the treadmill, their little bikes are out there and they're always like, if I'm on the bike, they'll turn the treadmill on and get on the treadmill and start running. And they got into cross country this year, even though they're in kindergarten and first grade, there's a elementary school cross country program. And so they were just crushing it. And <laughs> so it's just like, it's just cool. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to be an example to them that if you put in the work, you can achieve great things um and they, and for them that means like did you get a gold medal did you get like what did you get <laughs> like well i got a finisher's medal and i accomplished what i set out to do um yeah and i think they're starting to realize that at a young age um and i think again kind of going back to i got one interview and this happened and this happens like that's what i said to people i was like i'm just going to go to med school and I just made it happen. Oh, I'm just, I'm going to qualify. I'm going to get an elite standard for the Philly, Mar- half, Philly Marathon. Boom. Did it. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm, and I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to do it. Like, mm-hmm. and I think, um, yeah, the, like I said, the running, I think has been the constant background that has just kept me grounded. It, it's a nice solitary activity where you can really clear, clear your head, clear your mind. Um, and now my longevity in sport, I think, is only going to be longer given the biking and the swimming, which are certainly non-load bearing. Mm-hmm. Um, my joints will be better. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question at all. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, what, uh, what kind of hopes do you have? heading forward in this. Like I know you, you're a competitive person. Yeah. So my hopes changed this past weekend. Um, so I've been getting, so my coach, Brad saying, who's actually the head coach for the university of Colorado triathlon team, who's like multi-time national champions. Um, he works for D3 multi-sport. And so I got hooked up with him and he's been my coach for about nine weeks or so. Um, so it's been nice to have assistance with a customized plan to work around my schedule because he's not giving me hours and hours and hours of time to work out because he knows I can't do it. He's mm-hmm. like, this is how we can maximize your schedule, your fitness. And it, so far it seems to be working. So this past weekend I did half Ironman Indian Wells in La Quinta, California and Palm, Palm Springs uh, or Palm Desert. Yeah. Um, so I went there with the plan, the goal of qualifying for worlds. Um, I was like, I'm going to get another world's qualifier. I'm going to go two for two. It's going to be tough. Um, and I had a time goal in mind and we kind of had some time goals in mind. Um, I ultimately, I mean, granted this course and St. George are vastly different because St. George was so hilly. So technically I have a new PR personal best of 
four hours and 40 minutes for the half Ironman. Um, but I hit my time goal or at least my power output for the bike. Exactly. The swim could have been a little better. And then the run, I think I had the third fastest run in my age group. Uh, I think the 53rd fastest overall, um, and finished 12th in my age group, which was one spot out of world's qualifier. So yeah, the 11th place dude, I went to the award ceremony. I I told Lindsay, I was like, I think we got to go back. I was like, we got to go back to the award ceremony, like the roll down. You never know. I'm like 12th. I know some of these guys have already qualified. Mm -hmm. So depending how many spots are allocated already, um, that could be me. So we went back and sure enough, like one guy said he wasn't going and then two more said they weren't or didn't show. And I'm like, oh my God, like we're on the, it's going to happen. And I'm looking around and there's like this one other dude sitting there and I'm like, Ooh, is he in my age group or is he in like, well, who's this? And sure enough, he was the 11th place guy. And he said, yeah, he's going. Oh no. (laughs) And so then, so I texted my coach and I was like, um, I got to work on my swim. And I think it was also a nutrition problem. I dropped some nutrition coming out of transition. One of my water bottles jiggled out of its holder. I didn't even notice um, on the bike. So I was like so behind on volume. And then I came off the bike feeling pretty crappy. And it was ended up being a high of 88 that day. And so I was just dying on the run, but somehow still ran pretty, pretty decently. Um, But anyway, yeah, goals for this whole thing, getting back to Worlds for 70.3, but my first Ironman now is back in St. George for (laughs) (laughs) for the third time. Um, But because of COVID, that race is now the World Championship. It was supposed to be in Kona, but it got pushed to 2022. And they said St. George is going to be the venue. So my first ever full distance Ironman is now going to be the world championship. So it's going to be, so technically I'm in a world championship event, but I never qualified (laughs) and it's yeah going to be, going to be nuts. So I'm hoping I've got some time goals, I think for, for St. George. Um, I guess I'll put it out there. It'd be nice to go under 1030 for the full. Um, that might be a big ask because I've heard rule of thumb is like double your half time and then add an hour, which would put me like 10, 20 ish. Um, there's gotta be a little bit more slowing down that happens over the course of a, of a full. Um, but I don't know. I think the ultimate goal would go to, would be to go sub 10 at some point in a full distance, um, talking to my coach, he, I mean, I've only been doing this for less than a year. Yeah. And so that's the, <laughs> and that's the thing. So he, he said some things in a text last night that I was like, okay, like if that's what you think we're, we're going to do it. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. so, um, we've got some big, big goals for the future. So I know you are exceptionally adept at running around the hospital for 12 to 13 hours. <laughs> I so I know it's funny so. when I get my step count in just literally walking around the hospital, uh-huh. that's a problem. Like uh-huh. that's, that's, it just shows you how crazy it is, but the daily half marathon. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, it really is like getting a 10 K in for uh-huh. sure. Yeah. <laughs> base miles, base miles. Yeah. 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 Well, 
How about uh, jump into the best day, worst day? I have I have some inclination what this might be, but I'm I'm excited to hear what you you throw yeah, down. Yeah, I think you're probably. I mean, worst day. I think I mean you're probably referring to Worlds in St. George in September. So I qualified for Worlds. I got there. I had like a. I had now gone all in. My wife has been my number one supporter, big fan. And has let me spend triathlons not cheap. Um, yeah. Has let me go all in on on this essentially hobby. Um, <laughs> and, an outlet, you know, yeah, it's, it's an outlet. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I ended up qualifying and got this new bike set up, and I was like super pumped to race on this new TT bike. And again, day of firsts and learning still. Um, first open water swim now, not in a wetsuit. So I had to do the full thing in just like a swim skin. So yeah, that was miserable. Um, <laughs> and then come to the bike about, I think at mile 40, um, I think I had touched on it before. I have this custom paint job on my bike that's red, white, and blue. And then for you like us and it's just a like sweet color scheme. My yeah. uh, pain caves all red, white, and blue too. But, um, <laughs> Uh, this guy from France rode up next to me. He's like, oh, I love your bike. It's French. Like, I'm like, no, not quite, but, yeah, but thank you. Yeah, bro. And then as I'm talking to him, ride through like a little bit of gravel, like blow out my oh, back no. tire. And I'm like, fuck. Like I've <laughs> never changed a tire. <laughs> Tired, like hands shaking, freezing in the middle of a race. And like an idiot, I had put on my new Roval um, rim the night before, but failed to change out the tube on my spare. And so the stem on my spare was too short to even oh, fit through no. the rim. No. So I'm standing there and I'm like, I have no way of inflating this. Like, this is miserable. And at the same time, it's now pouring rain. <laughs> There's the mount, the little mound of dirt that was there was disintegrating. And so now my rim and my tire were filled with gravel. I'm like squirting it out with a water bottle, but I'm like, this is useless. I have no way of filling this tire up anyway, like my tube up anyway. Nobody was like helping me out. Uh, and uh, and no. I guess to kind of summarize like the rest of that race, the women's race was actually stopped because women were actually getting blown off of their bikes like the wind and the hail and everything was so bad that they paused the race temporarily. So no support crew was anywhere near me. Oh my god! And gosh. so eventually after screaming and getting super pissed, I just asked for the one person that was standing there for their phone. I was like, I got to call my wife and like hung it up at mile 40, um, in the world championships. And I was 12 minutes ahead of my <sighs> previous time. Like that's what was crazy is I was, a, this new bike and stuff was absolutely flying like i was murdering people on the bike and and then and the run was my strong suit so i oh knew the run i was just going to catch more people um so it was just super disheartening my boys were there and so i'm like i'm never not finishing a race again um and then so quickly signed up for this past weekend and had a pretty good day um so that was probably one of my worst days the one of the weirdest days i ever had was in high school. We, we, we were, we were, it was the day before our conference championship and we were just out dinking around in the woods 
And all of a sudden, we see this like massive ostrich looking bird. And we're like, <laughs> what the hell? And one, one of the guys in the group is like, oh, it's an emu. And we're like, what? Like, yeah, how? Jeff yeah. Corwin is on our run with us and knows it's an emu. <laughs> and so, naturally, we chase it. And so, <laughs> and so, of course you do. Yeah, it's only the day before our conference championship, and we are just hauling through the woods. And I don't know if you've ever seen an emu, but those things have, like, talons for feet. They're just, like, yes, these three-pronged... They're very dangerous, yes, actually. Very, yeah, in hindsight. Like, we, <laughs> we learned they're very dangerous. And its neck is, like, unbelievably squiggly. And it's just, like, darting <laughs> between the trees and, like, able to maneuver, like, nothing you've ever seen. And hauling ass. And, uh, of course, as are we. Why would we not chase a flightless bird <laughs> through the woods that has no business being that has there no business being there and so we end up cornering it like in this in this crop of trees and somehow it was kind of by the road and i don't know eventually i think one of our captains i think it was eric mccusker he was like we gotta stop <laughs> like, <laughs> we have a, a conference championship tomorrow and so we all like roll back to school and we are just like scrapes and cuts from branches as we were tearing through the and my coach is like, What are you doing out there? We're like, <laughs> we found an emu. <laughs> he's like, Oh my god, like palm to face. Um and turns to find out like the bird had escaped from like some local um farm that had it. And <laughs> Long story short, we lost conference championship the next day. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, you I got think to we chase only, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we only lost three races in my four like dual meets my entire high school career. I think we were like seventeen and three or something, and we were three out of four time <laughs> conference champions. So, <laughs> so that was just poor decision making. Um, so. Keep your eyes on the prize is the lesson here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but one of the best the best days I had was actually when I ran the Boston Marathon in 2014. So it wasn't my best time. Um, and it was the year after the bombing. So the bombing at mm. Boston happened in 2013. Yeah. And luckily I had my qualifier from... 2012 rolled over to for whatever reason i got to get into the the following year in 2014 um but i ran into one of my college teammates that was there and the just the overall atmosphere and everything was awesome like everybody was so pumped to be there just the support and the weather ended up being perfect and i remember running and i'm like I just feel great out here. Like it mm -hmm. wasn't a great, like my time wasn't fantastic or anything, but I just had a, such a good day being in that environment in Boston. I mean, they, they come out in droves for the marathon. Um, and they're just super pumped on a normal, normal marathon day, yeah. let alone like rallying behind the first responders and all the survivors of the bombing and things. It was just a really, really cool experience. Um, I remember, I think I even, my, my coach, 
uh, I remember emailing Pete afterwards and being, and I think I even used the words like we had, like Joe and I had just a magical day today. Like it was just one of those days you felt awesome. The environment was perfect. Um, you couldn't, couldn't go wrong. It was just really cool. So that was certainly pretty memorable, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit the, uh, the encounter question several times already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty much the emus. longest list we've had so far. <laughs> and running away from. And that's a new animal. We've had bears, cows, a whole bunch of other stuff. Emu. Emu. That's new. And yeah. 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 And we were chasing it. It wasn't chasing us. So it's a little <laughs> different. That's the way yeah. to have it. Uh, is there anything else you run into? Just. No, I did. I did run into a bear once um, in Simsbury. And I think we both just like scared the shit out of each other. We're like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went, went other directions. Um, but it was a cub. And that's what made me scared. Oh, I was oh like, right. Yeah, that's I'm always over bad. here. It's over there. Is mom still over there or is yeah. mom behind me? <laughs> and so I was like, I'm just going to keep going. Yep. Um, but yeah, that was the only. Oh, and I ran into a porcupine once. Those Ooh. things are way bigger than yeah, you think. So much um, bigger. We were, again, I was with Eric McCusker and we were, it was over the summer. And we, I don't even know. It was the only time I've ever run in this random stretch of woods in Canton, Connecticut, which is like the next town over. But we had to get our run in and it was late. And we somehow were on like this logging trail. I don't even know what the hell we were doing out there. We had no headlamps. It was like pitch black. Yeah. And somehow we ran into this porcupine, um, which luckily like didn't fire off a bunch of quills or anything or whatever they do. Um, <laughs> it just like climbed a tree, but it, they were, it, we initially thought it was a bear because it was all like puffed up and stacked up and we yeah. thought it was a cub. And then when we got... <laughs> kind of the light adjusted where we were we were like oh i think it's just it's a porcupine a really really pointy bear yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so we eventually made our way to the road and and found our cars but yeah it was kind of a weird experience well one one random question mm -hmm. that uh i found digging up uh, an old interview you did oh, <laughs> oh, no. oh boy i heard uh you have a nickname, CT. CT. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How did that come about? So when I went to Marist, um, I actually had a, a brief other very bizarre nickname. I think they called me Juice. <laughs> Juice. <laughs> Juice. Okay. For some Pretty reason, I, one of the guys on the team, uh, Chris Camp, he thought people were calling me OJ. I'm not sure why OJ. And then mm. he just turned it into juice. And then, <laughs> and so, um, but I was the only kid from Connecticut on the team. So then CT became like the name. Um, but yeah, that's, gotcha. where, that's where that okay. came from. Yeah. So around the hospital now, if, uh, <laughs> yeah. you're a Dr. CT or Dr. Juice. Uh, Dr. Yeah. Juice. Dr. Juice. Yeah, that could go yeah, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> like we could that. make something out of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. Only if they can use it over like the PA system. Yeah, you know, I have some connections. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Oh. That'll be like the code to get me out of rooms when I <laughs> get trapped. Yeah. <laughs> that never happens. Never. I'm trying to think never. of how this will feel as a patient if I'm laying in there and I hear Dr. Juice over the PA and then you walk in. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, we really appreciate you joining us here. And it's been you know, great to hear some of your, your background, your story. And your perspective, I, it's invaluable. We need we need people to 
understand a little bit more about what's going on in the healthcare world. Yeah. And yeah, I, it's just been fun. Yeah. So thank I appreciate you. It. This uh, other compatriot over here has been. Oh, yes. <laughs> quite oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Samson is. Yep. He's, a, he's a comforting person. He's there doing yeah. his job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dr. Zbazik, thanks so much. Yeah. For being appreciate on the show. it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. If you want to know more about Stand Up Pedal Action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S U P A dot B I K E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>